0: You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 27, airing on April 26th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave stahoviak And my
1: name is Sandy Morgan.
0: And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, we're going to be talking about labels today. But before talking about labels, we have had some cool media coverage that's happened as a result of the podcast.
1: You know, it was very exciting to... Open my inbox on Sunday morning and have an email from Holly Smith, who is a survivor who has testified before Congress and at that time had cited our podcast on um, development, m- mental development of kids and why they're so vulnerable. So, in an article in the Washington Times, she also cited our podcast. So that was exciting, Dave. We're famous. Well, thank you, Holly, for helping
0: us get the message out more and uh, pointing this podcast out as a resource. And, uh, you know, Sandy, we've been talking all along about, uh, you know, if we can just continue to have as many people as possible uh, be connected with uh, some of the tools and resources we're talking about in this show and even more importantly than that, building relationships with the people that are in this show's community, that we really do start to form those partnerships we've been talking about so much.
1: Mm, Absolutely, and it's really important. Um, We will eventually um, do an interview with Holly. We've talked about that, and Holly and I are working on a schedule. Oh, good, good. Yeah, Put that on your calendar. Excellent. Um, And if you have any questions that you'd really like us to ask survivors like Holly Smith, please send them in to us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or you can call and leave a voicemail on our phone number which is 714-966-6361 and you can reach us there anytime and i um i've had a great conversation (gasps) going on with one of our Um, listeners in South Africa over the last few weeks. And it begins to make it very clear to me how important it is for us to get information out there and accessible to the everyday person, Mm -hmm. because we are all in this together and we are not going to be able to end human trafficking just from a law enforcement perspective or just from a victim service perspective. So. And, it, and it really
0: is a global issue, Sandy. Many of the things that we're struggling with here in the States are similar challenges that they're struggling with in South Africa, similar challenges that the European countries are struggling with. And so the more we can all learn together and support each other, we really do um, work to end this on a global scale, because, of course, it's not enough just to uh, do what uh, a lot of uh Law enforcement did back in the 70s and 80s around gang enforcement, which is they did a great job in one place, and then the gangs would just move somewhere else uh, down the street or to the next neighborhood. So having a global conversation is really essential for this issue.
1: And I think especially in the area of uh, commercial sexual exploitation of children, that's what we've talked about several times, and that's what the article that Holly Smith wrote uh, is about. That there are some things that the everyday person can do which will just become a part of their household vocabulary Mm. that can change how this is perceived in their community among law enforcement professionals, among clinicians, among um, school teachers. And if we can begin to understand how important that is, we can all do something every single day that does change and does contribute to ending this kind of sex trafficking.
0: Well, Sandy, I'm going to throw myself in the category firmly of everyday person. So um, I I feel like an everyday person. So I'm curious what are some of the things that I can do around using uh, the correct labels and using the right vocabulary. And so uh, I'm very interested in our topic today to really look at uh, what is in a label, and why is that important for us to consider when we're talking about uh, human trafficking and uh, many of the things that go along with it, unfortunately?
1: Well, I think I think it's best summed up in a quote from Sergeant Byron Fawcett of Dallas, Texas. I met him a couple years ago at a Department of Justice conference on human trafficking. And he said, If a 45-year-old man had sex with a 14-year-old girl and no money changed hands, he was likely to get jail time for statutory rape. We would call it statutory rape. Sure. However, if the same man left $80 on the table after having sex with her, she would probably be locked up for juvenile prostitution, and he would probably go home with a fine, a ticket as a john. So the difference because she's being sold changes who she is and who he is, changes the penalty on both sides of the equation. And we're not going to talk about him today. That's another show. But we are going to talk about her. And while we use the term, uh, we use gender female most of the time when we talk about this, I also want to make it clear that this happens to boys as well. Mm -hmm. And depending on whose statistics you're reading, anywhere from 14, and I heard as high as 20% of commercially sexually exploited children are boys. Mm. And this is an area that um, will require more attention as well. The, uh the example
0: you just gave sandy of the two situations where an older man has sex with a you know younger woman is uh, you know just I think really highlights how uh, terminology really does play an important role in the conversation that we have around this and uh, I think it was, Plato that said the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this really is an important thing for us to look at. So, uh, and 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 scary when you think about it too. I mean, just just that example you just gave. It's just it's just uh, tough to think about it from that lens.
1: Well, and and we have a couple of different terms that are becoming more common in professional practitioners' language. So, you've heard on this program. Um, commercial sexual exploitation of children. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the reason we use that is because it very clearly defines the problem. Commercial, you're a businessman, that means for profit. We don't do commerce just because it's fun. We do it to make money. So commercial defines this as a um, business-motivated practice, Commercial sexual exploitation, the term sexual exploitation, easily defines the experience that the child or youth ex, um, went through. So they were exploited, exploitation. Someone used you to make a profit, to gain something for themselves. And then of children, of course, defines the fact that this is a minor. And there are lots of issues around the age that of um, when does someone become more responsible or when is someone less responsible Hmm. but commercial sexual exploitation of children is being used more and more in the law enforcement world but we also hear another term that's often used in um, federal language domestic sex trafficking of minors Domestic Sex Trafficking of Minors. And I believe that this emerged as a term because we already had um, attention and knowledge about sex trafficking in general, globally. Mm-hmm. And the State Department report that has been out for since 2000 on trafficking defines sex trafficking and labor trafficking, severe forms of, of trafficking in persons. So using that sex trafficking terminology um was a natural uh, sequence there. So when we use the term domestic minor sex trafficking, con- Congress has had hearings on this, and the um, at the federal level in the policy discourse, the use of the term youth prostitute or teeny teenage prostitute, is not used because they are inaccurate and misleading descriptions of a social problem. And so the, the congressional hearings have normalized using domestic minor sex trafficking. And we hear that terminology. Um, there's a s- domestic minor sex trafficking report that was funded um, and shared. Hope International produced that. That's a great report to look at to get an idea of what's going on right here in the United States. So when you're doing searches and doing research, and we get lots of calls from students and um, uh, grad, graduate researchers, you're going to be searching for commercial sexual exploitation of children and also domestic minor sex trafficking. So these kinds of labels help us frame this as something other than prostitution. And, you know, Dave, you, you're going to represent the everyday man. What is a prostitute? What does that mean when you hear that term?
0: Well, I think that you know the thing that comes to my mind most often is you know somebody out on a street corner somewhere uh, I think of Las Vegas just because we live you know three or four hours from Vegas here in Southern California, so you know, I think of people going to Las Vegas and you know when I've been there and seen people on the streets and you know i I typically think of someone that's older than the population that we've Uh, been talking about on this show. Mm -hmm. So that's what comes to mind for me. And that's the image that comes into my mind.
1: And the, the, um, the problem with using the term prostitution is it assigns a lot of cultural baggage to a 14 year old. Let's just use a 14 year old as an example, because we hear people say, well, you know, if she dressed like that, what does she expect? Mm -hmm. And the, the point that we want to make here is that she is a child and we do have um, legal protections for her, no matter how she dresses. And so one of the-, the it,
0: It's really interesting you say that, Sandy, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. But go right but, ahead. But uh, before I knew you and was more uh, knowledgeable about this issue, um, I think that if I had stopped to think about it, that- Hearing about a 14 or 15 year old prostitute would be something that would really have given me a lot of pause. But when you, but I'm embarrassed to say that I think if you, when you do hear the term teen prostitution, you think of, you know, someone who has made some really poor choices. Hmm. And that's kind of how the bucket you, I would put it, have put it into prior to, you know, my education by you of, you know, how things really do happen. So I do think that word comes with a lot of baggage and a lot of assumptions about what that person did and poor choices that that person did to get into that situation versus someone like, you know, the language we're using, that was really exploited. And as we know now, and, and I know now, that more often than not, in fact, in many cases, that person has been the victim of exploitation. And so it, it really is a term that does come with a lot of baggage.
1: And the 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 fact that you use the word choice indicates that this young um, fourteen year old has the ability and the agency to make decisions that would impact her health for the future, her social welfare for the future, um, her education, all those kinds of things, and. We um, we identify children as needing protections, as needing guidelines, and then we cast her off as well. This is a choice that she made.
0: Yeah, and you know it's funny when you think about it through that lens too. Sandy's you know uh, a seventeen-year-old can't go on a field trip from school without a signed permission slip but apparently can make choices to become a prostitute. Uh, and, and we think nothing of those differences because of the language that our society uses around it. So it, it is really, uh, it is sort of a double-edged
1: sword. Exactly. And, and we're beginning to recognize that. Um, Megan Anito at the Center for Law and Public Service at West Virginia University College of Law, um, she says this, The juxtaposition of statutory rape laws with the prosecution of juveniles for prostitution demonstrates a literal clash in the way that American society addresses the sexual victimization of children. Children's ability to legally consent, think about signing that um, Mm -hmm. field trip form, ability to legally consent and societal expectations about behavior according to gender, By prosecuting exploited children, current laws and practices contradict one another and fail to assist the significant numbers of youth sold on the street, on the internet, in strip clubs, and otherwise sold for sex. So we criminalize children, and then we find ways to say, well, they made bad choices, they Mm -hmm. made poor choices. And that, if if it took place in a different context, then we would see them as victims. But as long as we continue to use terminology that includes the word prostitute, we are going to lay blame and responsibility at their door.
0: And most people that I know, Sandy, would use that terminology and who even are very well-educated people and know, you know about the world and and its and its troubles would often use that terminology, and so it. I think we've really hit on something big here that uh, does really define the challenges we all have, and how we process this issue, and how we have conversation and dialogue about this issue, and how we start to resolve this issue too.
1: Well, um, the the label that we give them will determine what kind of services they qualify for. So for instance, um, if we use terminology that includes the ability to prosecute for juvenile prostitution, then this becomes a delinquency case. And now then we are going to put her into a juvenile delinquency facility. Um, She will as Carissa Phelps told us um, who is a survivor and speaking up for this particular issue of being labeled um, mm-hmm. a teen prostitute. Uh, she said, I've, I, I thought they were going to help me. And instead I'm in prison and I'm wearing um, only what the clothes that they give me. And I have to stand in line and, and all of these things that are demeaning and humiliating. And so her experience was that being um, rescued in some sense, because now she was taken away from the pimp, taken away from the trafficker, really didn't really change her um, sense of feeling trapped and controlled. Mm -hmm. And how does that label then impact your future? Because it follows you. You've been picked up, you've been charged, you've been prosecuted. This follows you for the rest of your life. And there is a move to um, pass laws that will expunge and seal those kinds of records. And that's for another show. We could in- invite an attorney to talk to us about that. But the idea that by how we label these kids, we can convert a case from a delinquency case to a child welfare matter. Hmm. So this, the word that you choose decides whether this is going to be a child welfare matter.
0: I think back to our conversation with Tamara from last episode yeah. too, Sandy, and just how her perspective changed as she started to see some of these uh, and uh, children show up in her courtroom and just how, um, how she defined the issue and looked at the issue and the label she started to use when she was considering these cases and how to approach these cases really did change not only the way she approached it, but has also changed now the way that her office and the legal system there uh, has approached it as well as not just looking at this as a uh, a criminal situation for the child, but to really look at the larger issues that are going on.
1: And and we've heard, in and bringing up Tamara is so valuable too, because we talked a little bit about changing the terminology from um, uh, Juvenile prostitution to um, maybe some kind of calling them a maybe a victim offender, um, but there's another term that she mentioned to us as well: status offenders. And mm. rather than being designated as delinquents, a status offender is defined as persons in need of supervision. I think Tamara used the term "pins," which is the abbreviation for person in need of supervision. Well, I'll tell you what: a fourteen-year-old girl. Standing on a street corner, her pimp in the background, um, watching and overseeing, and then collecting the money afterwards. Uh, this little girl is in need of supervision, not in need of punishment. So, how do we do that? And supervision is is contained. There is a sense of you don't have the freedom to move if you're being supervised. Yes, uh, we don't let kids leave the playground. We have a playground supervisor that makes sure kids are safe. So as a child welfare issue and being treated as a victim, um, doesn't mean that we're not going to keep them safe because if you rescue a child and then they are not put in a safe place, not, um, um, retained for their, for their own good, um, it would be much like, um, rescuing dogs from a dog pound and then just turning them loose, then what happens to them? They become um, sick and all kinds of other things. So sure. we have to have a plan for, for how we are going to treat these kids from a child welfare perspective. And seeing them as status offenders means then that they're going to get support through the social services agencies in your local um, and state um, government so, status offender is a person in need of supervision. I love that term—a person in need of supervision.
0: Certainly, a very different term than a child prostitute or teen prostitute or whatever other label that. We've or juvenile
1: used. delinquent. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. A person in need of supervision is uh, is a, a lot more, um, a lot more representative of what the term that really does describe what needs to happen.
1: And this is a huge revolution in our legal system locally, statewide, and nationally. And one of the leading states on this is Illinois, who is the first state. Hooray for Illinois. Oh, that's right. You're from Illinois. I am. Whoa! Well, you can be really proud because from our perspective, I'm very happy to tell you that Illinois is the first state to make all children under 18 completely immune from prosecution for prostitution.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Huh. Put that on your Facebook page, Dave I, I,
0: I, I will I will run there as soon as we're done.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, the reason why it's so important for us to start using different terminology is because every one of us contribute to those social services in some way, Um, Because of our language, we create the community that um, our social services in our community responds to. Mm -hmm. So whether we're a school teacher, a school nurse, um, somebody who runs the front desk at a hotel, or um, a, a child counselor, we have a responsibility to promote the use of appropriate terminology. Consider this when a clinician that works with this population, says to a law enforcement person, well, yeah, the first time maybe she was a victim, but after that, the next time and the next time, then it's her choice. Well, why is it her choice? What is that about? And we've already talked about what happens with manipulation and coercion and the use of coercion. So this is really an illusion that she actually has choice. How do we change the way, though, that that clinician, that practitioner walks into the room with that status offender?
0: I think this really speaks to the importance, Sandy, of what we do at the Global Center for Women and Justice, which is to study the issues, because it's very easy to just utilize the common terms that society uses for these situations, and because of using those commonly held terms it really does set the stage for a much different conversation of how we approach these issues and um you know when you're using the term teen prostitute that brings a lot of assumptions along mm-hmm. with it and really dictates also uh, you know as imp- as importantly if not more so importantly different decisions that are made when you're using that type of terminology about a person or a child so it's uh it, so just, this, a, just just the importance of education and, and, and us not only uh, developing our knowledge base any, but helping other people to really be, raise awareness around this too is just critical.
1: That's why, because we're talking about educating society, we're talking about changing the way we all talk about this, not just about changing what it looks like for law enforcement or prosecutors. We have to change the way it looks and sounds in our media, in our newsprint on our radio stations, on our TV news, on your iPad, so that media that um, and i've I've given report uh, interviews to to reporters, and I have explicitly asked them to use the term commercial sexual exploitation of children. and then the article comes out and it says teen prostitute. And those words look like they're coming from my mouth and they're not. Mm. and the and the the writer of the article calls me up and says, my editor changed it. My editor changed it. Now, the editor's job is to um, keep the space limits. I understand that. But ultimately, um, media is for profit. And consequently, if they're looking for increasing the traffic at their website, uh, the traffic, uh, the people, number of people who watch their program or read their paper. Then the numbers are going to increase when they have more highly um,
0: highly charged words,
1: yeah, high, yeah, it's almost uh, to use an old-fashioned word titillation. Mm-hmm. and it's it uh, it appeals to people, oh, that sounds really awful. And even community groups, uh, when I talk to them about hosting a survivor of commercial sexual exploitation of children, uh, and then I see the flyer, former teen prostitute, community organization. Well, more people will come mm-hmm. if we use that terminology.
0: Yeah. well, so it's almost like they're getting exploited again, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. and and then does that make the people that are using that to get more attention for their product or their program or their event? Does that make them um, complicit in that exploitation, that reexploitation? Yeah. Those are questions we have to ask ourselves.
0: Yeah, it's it's really complicated, Sandy, and I don't know if I would have even that would have even crossed my mind before I met you to have thought about the distinctions between those two things. And um you know, we all do this all of us as we look for the right language that is going to attract people to things i know when you know i think about it from our organization when we post things on our website that are you know unrelated to human trafficking but um you know when we're trying to get traffic on our blog we think a lot about what's the headline we use on a title or a website because we know that people are going to make different decisions based upon the headline they see And, uh, and boy, this comes right into play in this issue too, though, is then, you know, depending on the terminology we're using,
1: we potentially uh, are victimizing that person again. And I, I always go back to when I lived in Greece and I was working on this same issue in Europe and the head of the task force in Sweden was presenting to us and showed a newspaper um, with a headline in Stockholm that said, uh, child selling sex on the streets, and he he put a big X on on that that newspaper headline that he had just translated for us, of course. And he said, "What it should have said is Swedish men buying sex from a child, mm. buying sex with a child. That is what the real headline is." Yeah. Well. One of the one of the really important things to understand is that with this exploitation, lives are fractured. There's chronic indignity, um, sexually transmitted diseases, PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder. And at our last conference, one of our workshop leaders, Amelia Frank Meyer, talked to us about. Why are we blaming the victim and what is their experience? Mm. So we've invited her for our next podcast. We're going to do an interview with Amelia. Oh, good. So we'll talk more so we can better understand who this child is. And so she'll
0: be with us for our next episode, which will be episode number, I think 28, 28. right? Because okay, this was yeah. 27, if got I've got it. my numbers We're added doing here good correctly. this early in the morning. <laughs> hey, you know, anytime that we can add numbers correctly, Sandy, that's a good thing for both of us. Hey, you know, before we uh, jump off today, uh, just a reminder to our audience that if you have comments or questions about anything related to human trafficking, you know, we really are here to serve you and we'd really like to engage with you. And if you've uh, been a listener to this show for any length of time, whether this is the first time listening to the show, or maybe you've listened to all 27 episodes with us, we'd really like to hear from you. And so uh, there's a couple ways you can do that. And again, you can email us at g- gcwj at vanguard.edu. That is the email address for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And of course, you can also call us and our listener hotline is 714-966-6361. And also just a real quick reminder that if you have found value from this show, help us to reach more folks and really educate them on these issues. And you can do that by hopping onto iTunes. If you're an iTunes user, leave us a written review. Tell uh, tell us what you think of the show, and that will help us to reach more folks. And We
1: want to end human trafficking, right, Dave?
0: We do, and we can't do it alone. Yep. So if we can get your help in reaching out to others and connecting with us and building relationships we're much more likely to be able to make good traction against a very, very difficult issue. So, Sandy, I'm glad to have been with you again here, and we'll uh, see you again in two weeks for our interview. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone.